Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. A little uh, stuffy. Uh, apologize if my voice isn't up to par as the beautiful, wonderful voice you're used to hearing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I've been dealing with some allergies or cold or whatever, but uh, we will press on. Um, Cord, last time we were talking about the 16th, well, we were in the 16th chapter of Alma. We talked about a guy, remember his name, Korahor, who was perverting the ways of the Lord, and he was dealt with. And where we left off, it says uh, in the 16th chapter of Alma, verse 78, it came to pass after the end of Korahor, Alma having received tidings that the Zoramites were perverting were perverting the ways of the Lord, and that Zoram, which was their leader, was leading the hearts of the people to bow down to dumb idols, etc. His heart again began to sicken because of the iniquity of the people. Hmm. And so goes life, doesn't it? One right, right after the other, um, one wicked spirit, one lie, one deception, yeah. and we're just reading. Yeah, uh, one case, it's a guy who's leading people away, and they deal with him, and now... He arrives at a group of people who've been kind of led away. And and what is his solution to it? Uh, You know, he basically rolls up his sleeves and comes to, uh, we come to verse 82, where he decides the way he's got to fix this or help out is to preach the word. And as as you've shared with us, Mike, you know, what's the effect of preaching the word? What does verse 82 say? Well, yeah, it it says that... uh the word has a greater tendency to lead people to do that which was just um, a more powerful effect upon the minds than the sword or anything else. So, the background of that was, uh, you know, back then it was so we, we can't relate to this really, but back then it was so important because they thought that the Zoramites were going to go and join their enemies, and. Um, and perhaps maybe even come up against them. And so mm-hmm. one of the one of the first things that they would do is when you saw an uprising, you had to quench that before it got too powerful because back then it was so much a matter. It wasn't a matter of the technology and how great of an army you have and how many you know uh, missiles you have that are guided by computers. It was just strength in numbers. And um, if you had a group of people that were now joining together with another group of your enemies, well, you're in big trouble because mm. they're going to you know, overpower you. Mm. And so you can imagine, well, I can't really imagine what that was like, but when you start to hear that um, religiously they're starting to, uh, to uh, be perverted and go away from um, the Christians, it was so tied together with uh, the government and everything back then that their one option would be to go and just fight them and cut that off right away. But they thought, well, what if we can change their hearts by the word mm, of God? Mm, mm. And so I think that's, that's just important when it says it's more important. It's, it can have more effect than the sword or anything else. You know, it's interesting too, because again, this is, 
coming from the guy who had the born again experience. You know, everything from Elm three on is Alma Jr.'s experiences, his interaction with his people, it's his interaction with his own preaching to people. And it's also his interaction to his sons, which we're going to see in the following uh, next three chapters. But what is interesting when you compare the stories of people who had changed hearts, I I used to consider a story that uh, is in a different part of the Book of Mormon where some Lamanites who had been bloodthirsty, murdering Lamanites like so many that we love to read about in the Book of Mormon, uh, when they had found Christ and their hearts changed, then the story goes on, and, and I'm sure if you're familiar with the Book of Mormon, you, you know this. When their enemy Lamanites came upon them, they wouldn't lift up their swords. Right. And, and, and I used to consider that story, and I think, man, if I could only learn how that guy preached, you know, because they had a, they had a pep talk from their leader before this happened, and, and I used to think that, oh, it took mighty salesmanship, right? This guy could preach, and he was smooth with his words, and, and he convinced people because he was so slick in his manner of you know verbal utterance. And, and I realized that that isn't the whole story. That isn't even part of the story, if it's any of the story. The preaching of the Word has the ability to penetrate our soul's when our hearts are changed. And if our hearts aren't changed, it causes us to throw stones at the guy and tomatoes at the guy, right? And and so that's what you see when when Samuel the Lamanites standing on the Nephite walls. Remember, the Nephites used to be the good guys, and he's preaching the word, and they're throwing stones at him. Why? Because their hearts had turned away. And then you here you have Lamanites out there who won't lift up swords against their brethren at, after a sermon because their hearts have changed. And so the most of us probably fall somewhere in the middle, and this is the great battle of the world. I mean, this is this is why Satan's battling for our souls, is because he still sees us as our hearts can go either way, right? We're not fully, you know, uh, one foot in the water, one foot on the beach, kind of walking down the middle. And, and so the preaching of the Word is, I think, the most powerful effect it can have for us is if, if we aren't sure of truth, it entices us to speak to God to ask him to meditate on his word so that it can enter in and can change us. And and that's a prayer we can ask. It isn't just, you know, Lord, I believe you're alive, but Lord, would you convey truth by the power of your spirit so I can make better choices, better decisions? You know, that's what the preaching of the word can ultimately lead to if we open our hearts to that. And we have many avenues today to do that, um, you know, re- recorded preaching, Live preaching, um, written preaching, uh, so many things. Like you said back back in the day, you know, people didn't have the opportunity to actually read the word or turn a page. No, no. It was uh, it was a whole different way of assimilating it into your mind and meditating. But but we do have that opportunity, and and if that's how we've come to uh, obtain knowledge, um, what a great thing! Yeah, we have to pray that the Lord would lead us and and. Um, and just there was a time when I went back and forth between, well, should I be listening to mainstream preachers on the radio or not? Because what if they speak some things and it's it's not, you know, maybe it's just a little bit misguided truth, and then I start to believe a lie. But um, I really started to learn that no matter what 
what they're talking about, the Holy Spirit can use anything in my personal life to spark my mind or to get me thinking. So if I approach everything, Lord, help me know your truth. Help me know your word. Help me not to believe lies, but confirm within my mind, within my heart, those things that are true. Do we not worship a God that's strong enough to take care of that honest prayer? Of course we do. And so... What a beautiful thing, yes, this preaching of the Word. And put yourself in a position often, often, daily. Put yourself in the position to allow the Spirit to guide you into that truth. Absolutely. You bet. You know, uh, in the early account of Enoch where uh, he sees uh, a vision of the world and he, and he sees, you know, Jesus and he sees satan and he sees darkness and and he sees all kinds of things there's this moment where in genesis 7 32 in the inspired version he sees satan with his great chain in his hand and it states and it it veiled not the, the chain the chain veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness and satan looks up and laughed and and a mentor of mine once years ago, said something that always stayed with me. And it's interesting because I didn't read it, but I heard it. And it's this picture. He said, every link in that chain is a lie. He said, and, the, and it's veiling the world with darkness. And, and our minds, our lives are this continual, whether we realize it or not, it's a struggle to either choose truth or choose a lie. And which one are we going to follow? Um, <clears throat> I... I, I think sometimes we, we wear words out like having faith. You know, we need to have faith, Mike. We need to live by faith. And, you know, we hear this, and it's like, what does faith really mean? I, I heard someone else say this, and this may have come from Rick Warren to credit him. If not, it was someone like him. But this idea that there is really either truth or there is falsehood right, in, in the world. There's there's You can follow a truth or you can follow a lie. If you follow truth, that is what it means to have faith. In other words, you're choosing true things and following them, and having faith is to find the truth and to seek after it, to be firm and diligent. To to deny the faith is to believe a lie, you know. And we can pick all kinds of examples of that. You know, you can pick whatever worldly behavior, for instance, that you want to associate with not being Christian. But And it doesn't matter what they are. You, you can name a hundred of them. <clears throat> but the point is, when we choose those instead of God, we're choosing the lie that those are going to bring satisfaction or eternal happiness, or those are going to bring us to greater peace. And, and that's the lie. And so, so living by faith ultimately means discerning truth and choosing that. Well, um, yeah. What a great conversation. We, we, we started out with Alma talking about where he's going to go over and because the word is more powerful than the sword. And that's, that's the great thing, Corey, about sitting down, we say casual conversation of just about the things of eternity. I mean, here we are, uh, we get into a scripture about how powerful the word of God can be compared to the sword. And, and, and now we're uh, into this topic. It's just, <laughs> a, it's amazing. I hope uh, you never know, you know, I wonder when people are listening to this, whether it's early in the morning or late at night or they're walking their dog or whatever, um, and I just picture the Spirit of God because it's one God and one Spirit reaching out to them and 
and I hope stimulating their mind and, and, and is you know is their relationship with him growing? Are they starting to love him more and, and see him as this loving creator that he is? Mm-hmm. That, it's fascinating to me. But that's that's the amazing thing about the Word of God, isn't it? That that you and I, you know, we can read one scripture and then sit here and just talk about for for fifteen minutes. You know what what does that mean, or how does that have place in our life? And, yeah, yeah. and it's all interconnected between all of these things. It's so hard to to separate out just one little. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, again, like we talked about in our previous episode, how, how can you deny God when the fact is that we have ideas? And we can share them, and they they surround truth. At least we hope they do. And 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 to be able to even define that there's something like truth, you know, how do you even come up with a concept like that unless there's a greater life and a greater presence in this universe than just the physical around us? You know, it's right. not possible. You know, I I had a dream. I just want to share one other little thing. Oh, it's yeah. kind of a little personal testimony. I won't share everything that it means to me right now, but I don't. I'm not a person who goes by a lot of dreams I have. I think most of the dreams are just the food I ate or whatever. But <laughs> but I, <clears throat> I had one recently, and it was it was startling to me. And, and a couple times in my life, you know, most of the dreams I'd have, I'd say, are just kind of generic, or sometimes they're they're good, or they leave you pondering. A couple times in life, I've had some that have been a little disturbing. And like I could remember a couple times in my life where whatever was happening in the dream, I can remember I felt like I, I was... I had confronted Satan, you know, this evil guy, and he didn't always look like a, a person or a creature, but I, I just remember being in these dreams of mine, and I, there might be nothing to it, but just totally, um, like, overwhelmed. Like, I, I couldn't breathe, couldn't move, just totally, like, in this po- powerful force of something that I could not overcome. I didn't have the strength, and, and I just remember waking up, like, gasping to want to breathe. You know, that's how I felt, and I was like, Wow, let me not have that dream again. Well, <clears throat> recently I, I had a dream, and in this dream I saw this this young woman who was very beautiful, but she was being carried by this, it looked kind of like half man, half machine, kind of like Terminator kind of guy, kind of half animal. It was like everything mixed together, very large and grotesque looking, and carrying this woman, and she was barely conscious, and, and he had her wrapped in this like black linen and you know um he was carrying her uh, to this place where he intended to do her harm and and i knew this in the dream but i I didn't know what and he was also very heavily armed um in the in the dream like he had guns strapped to him and and knives and different things and it was just like this awful kind of looked like a a military presence but something's beyond that and and spiritually just corrupt and his focus was to take this young girl in in my dream and 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 do her harm and i can remember in this dream when i saw him my first thought was i wanted to run but yeah it occurred to me in the dream that for the first time i've ever and i knew this was satan and i and i didn't necessarily even know what this person was or who who she may have represented and and that's maybe not even where i want to go but i i in the in the moment in in the dream i realized I also had a gun on my side, and I looked down, and and it was a, a gun, and I had one bullet, and I had one bullet, and I, and rather than feeling paralyzed like I had before, I realized that my job was to try to defeat this this grotesque figure before he harmed this woman, and I had one shot, and and 
I had summoned the courage in my dream and I, and I shot. And as I shot, he put this girl down and he starts coming after me. And luckily I woke up cause I don't know how the dream ended, but in that, I pondered that dream. I thought, was that just a dream or what? But you know, there are some symbols that I've thought about later. And, you know, just like this great veil over the earth that Enoch saw that was Satan in his lies. I, I believe this, this woman could have represented a lot of people. It could have represented someone I know, or it could have represented the church too. Uh, but this, this blackness in the linen, you know, linens were used, uh, one, when, when Jesus was born, the uh, swaddling clothes that they uh, say he was wrapped in in the manger. Um, interesting thing about that, that's, they were the same material that they wrapped people in when they died, the linen. And in fact, the high priest, when he had to carry the sacrifice of the blood into the Holy of Holies every year, he had to change his clothes and he had to put on linen. He couldn't have any wool. And it was symbolic. You know, when Jesus died, they wrapped him in linen. It was all symbolic of his death. When when Jesus was born, those swaddling clothes, by the way, too, um, were the same thing that the shepherds would wrap their unblemished lambs in so they wouldn't get a blemish. And and so the very thing that the lambs were wrapped in to keep them from getting blemished, here Jesus is wrapped in the Lamb of God. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? But in this dream, you know, and, and we could talk about that for more than one podcast, this beautiful symbolism of that. But in this dream, I realized, you know, say this woman was a church, I don't know, but she was wrapped in black linen and black linen meaning death, and she was almost dead, but she wasn't. And I realized that that black linen represented the lies of Satan that can wrap around our lives individually and have wrapped around the church and have made us to lose almost uh, consciousness. When you're conscious, you know, you lose your ability to communicate, right? And our, our communication with God has become diminished because we're wrapped in lies. And, and hopefully in our life, what we come to is truth. Um, I'm I'm convinced, though, and, and I learned this by reading someone else's work, but that, you know, in that dream where I had this gun, I don't believe that anything of this world, you know, Satan's tools that he uses against us, hate, anger, uh, you know, being mean to other people, those things don't work back at Satan. The, the tools he uses towards us can't work on him. He wants us to be mad and angry and everything, but they don't have any effect on him. So the tools of Satan directed towards us to bring us harm can't work to bring him harm. So what are the tools? How how can you defeat Satan? Well, one of the ways, and this brings it kind of back to Alma 16, is that we have to be able to plant the word of God in our heart. And, And we have to be able to come to a point in our life where the decisions of our life come back to the the rightful understanding of the Word of God. And and that's something where a lot of religions divide over. But there is a way to know truth, and there is a way to discern it. But the, the first way it has to um, have a hold is to be planted and planted properly. That um, I don't want to go too far ahead on that, but that that's the heart of, Corey, when I was... That was the heart of some new understanding I felt like... Um, that I came to when I was reading through almost 16 this last time was uh, I asked a question about that. And so I want to, I want to get into that about planning the word of God. Cause that's one of those things where you, well, that's so vast. What does that mean? Yeah, the word of right, God? And, right. I, and I, I said, well, what is this word that we're supposed to plant? And I want to get into that because I, 
I just felt like there was some understanding there. And, if um, we can, boy, if we can touch on that, Mike, you'll, you'll help me. I know this is a question I have. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, it's interesting in this story, uh, just to kind of take the first couple of verses. And the last episode, we talked about the earlier parts of Korhor, and that ends around, if you're in the earliest version of chapter 16, you know, around 78 or so, 79. But then around verse 80, we get to this story about the Zoramites. And as you mentioned, the Nephites are fearing that the Zoramites are going to uh, enter into correspondence with the Lamanites and gang up against them, and that isn't good. So Alma begins this preaching effort, and he takes some people with him. But what's interesting is he says in verse 86, they had fallen into great errors. They weren't keeping the commandments of God and the statutes according to the law of Moses. Now, it's interesting to put this into the context of time because this was all happening before Jesus was alive on the earth and died as the sacrifice for sin. So the law of Moses was still in effect in the Old Testament days, whether you lived in Israel or whether you lived in the New World in America. And so they were supposed to keep God's words. That was to keep them from falling into errors. The law of Moses was this hard thing to follow, and it was intentionally that way, but it was given because the people were disobedient. But it was full of types and shadows to teach them about Jesus. But that wasn't so much even the issue. Verse 87 is what I think the real point of their corruption is. And, and he confines this right here. He says, neither would, so the law of Moses was in verse 86, but verse 87, neither would they observe the performances of the church to continue in prayer and supplication to God daily that they might not enter into temptation. Yeah, I had a. That's exactly um, one of the notes that I made here. Um, first of all, in verse 85, it says, the Zormites were dissenters from the Nephites, therefore, and let's make sure we, we, just one more time, clarify this. They had the word of God preached unto them. They knew the word of God, so mm. there was no like lack of knowledge there, right? But yeah, um, it says they were dissenters, and, and I actually wrote down in the next few verses three things. One of those were they, they refused to keep the law of Moses. That second one, you just pointed out, uh, they, didn't, um, they didn't observe to continue in prayer and supplication unto God daily. Can you imagine, let's just think about that for a minute, in our church today, is that, is that an expectation? Is it... Um, and if it is an expectation, but are we serious about that expectation? I mean, this is this this says um, they've fallen into great errors. Mm-hmm. That's a great error that they wouldn't um, pray and supplicate to the Lord daily. Yeah, that and and doesn't that suggest that maybe there's a hidden principle there that. You know, when, when Jesus is asked by the disciples, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray, you know, he, what we get in response is the Lord's Prayer. But there's only about five verses to that, and, and none of them are about me. It's all about we, help us, help this. But but the point he, he makes is to not enter into temptation here in verse 87. And that's part of the Lord's Prayer is that, you know, you can read it different ways. Lead us not into temptation. But the Hebrew meaning of that meant Suffer us not to be led. That's, I think, why Matthew's translated that way. Um, in fact, one of the recent popes even came out and wrote this to the Catholic Church that he even used this word. I saved this on my computer in this article uh, just a few years ago. He said, 
lead us not into temptation should be interpreted. And he uses the word suffer us not. He says, right. suffer us not to be led. So well, it's just, yeah. But, 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 but the point being that this is, this is supposedly a principle we need to live by daily. And I can honestly say, I don't, I don't think I even utter those words very often. You know, Lord, I pray that I wouldn't be, um, you know, tempted. I pray that I wouldn't be tempted. Is that something that we're supposed to do day in and day out? Is but, that should be in the forefront of our mind, I guess, is my question. I want to add another scripture to that in just a second. But before I do that, I wanted to just ask you, um, what define for our listeners and, and what's your understanding of the word supplicate as a... Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's mentioned with prayer and supplication. What I, I don't know. I don't know that I... I've ever looked up that actual definition. Well, I'm sure someone has. But. Well, I'm going to because, yeah. you know, it's interesting because, you know, words have meaning and words are used for, for different purposes. But uh, while if, you're doing that, Cora, just remind us, a, cu- a couple episodes back we talked about temptation and is it possible to live our life, you know, uh, without being led into temptation based on um our relationship, our continued relationship, and that the Lord offers a way out of every situation. And we said, well, that it's uh, it's not an instantaneous thing that he gives you power all of a sudden to avoid that temptation, but it's based on a life, you know, ordering your life in a certain way. And this sounds like uh, what he's talking about daily. Yeah, yeah. You're going to love this definition of supplication. I just looked it up. Let's do it. It's, it's a noun, but it refers to... The action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. How do you like that? That sounds like all energy of heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Pray with all the energy of heart that what? Begging? Yeah, begging, begging, asking or begging for something earnestly. Earnestly begging. Earnestly begging. There you go. That's supplication. All the energy of your heart, praying. Praying, we say we're supposed to pray with all the energy of our heart. Yeah, that will be filled with the... the Pure love of Christ. Yep, yep. The well, this is a, a similar word then, this supplication. Yeah. Earnestly begging. Earnestly <laughs> begging. Wow, that's good. I'm, you know, it'd be something if we ever had a script for these podcasts, you know, but we just kind of are here and learning as we talk to. So, um, so can you imagine if that was an expectation? And it is an expectation, but if we actually recognize that, that, hey, Corey, as, as I'm your brother in Christ, it's my, it's your expectation that each day I am coming to the Lord in prayer. I'm reading his word daily. And you're earnestly begging. <laughs> and I'm earnestly begging him. Um, it doesn't say earnestly begging to not be led into temptation, but it says um, you're just praying and supplicating to God daily that you might not enter into temptation. So I don't know that, that you, your specific prayer is, God, deliver me from temptation today. Deliver me. Or is it just fill me with your truth? Show me more about you. Help me desire you more. And then as a byproduct of that, that they did not enter into temptation. I don't know, but or while you were it, talking, I just had my whole life flash before my eyes, and I realized that never have I on my knees earnestly begged that I wouldn't enter into temptation. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's this casual thing. Oh yeah, Lord, keep us from temptation. But what what if what if he's focusing our, our hearts and thoughts in a different way here on how to approach him? I've I've felt this I felt to pray this for other people early on. Well yeah. Um just knowing that people were gonna go through some things, but but yeah, not for myself. But but Corey, let me somewhere along my studies, I remember these were. I came across another scripture 
um, close to this, and and so I had written it in the margin. But it's Third Nephi eight fifty seven. This is a scripture that I never really had thought of before. Another way to not be led into temptation. Um, uh, let me see here. The the Lord Jesus is saying this um, in Third Nephi eight. It says, you have seen that I have prayed unto the Father, and you have witnessed and see that I have commanded that none of you should go away, but rather have commanded that you should come unto me, that you might feel and see, and even so shall you do unto the world, and whosoever breaketh this commandment suffereth himself to be led into temptation. When I read that, the understanding I got was that we're to invite the world to come unto Christ, hmm. to not to not uh, any of them, not prohibit anybody from doing that. But no matter who you are and where you're at, come unto Christ. It says, "You should come unto me that you might feel and see, and even so, you should do this also unto the world. Invite them to come unto Christ, come hmm. see Him." And it says, "If you break this commandment, you suffer yourself to be led into temptation." Oh, wow. So that's such an active thing to me. That's not just uh, if someone asks me about Jesus, I'll tell them that I should be actively inviting people to come and see, come feel, come understand. Mm-hmm. And in so doing that, I am led away from temptation. But mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm if i not actively engaged in trying to bring people to Christ, to come to experience Him and see Him, then I, then I suffer myself to be led into temptation. Wow, wow, that's interesting. It just gives you a little idea maybe of... When, when you're earnestly begging, what are you? What are you actually praying for wow. to be led wow. out of temptation? Wow. Unless I, unless I totally misunderstood that scripture, but that's one of those things where maybe the spirit's talking to you at that moment for right. something in your life. But I'd like to read more of the surrounding of that. Um, anyway, so back to Alma sixteen, and so it says they they. They didn't observe the law of Moses. They didn't earnestly beg or supplicate. I'm going to use that term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Before the Lord. And basically, in fine, it says, or they just perverted the ways of the Lord in many ways. It says, in many instances. So who knows what all they were doing. Right. So this caused Alma and his brethren to go up to this land and to preach unto them. And here's, Corey, when I was reading this yesterday morning, this is something that I saw this word, and it's just one of those things that stuck out and made me ask a question. It says, When they had come unto the land, behold, to their astonishment, they found that the Zoramites had built synagogues. And I thought, why would that cause them to have astonishment? I mean, wasn't that part of their culture, to build to build synagogues mm. and to have churches and things? Mm. And so as I asked that question, I continued to read, and it says, I believe it's because of what was transpiring Mm. within that synagogue. Mm. But it says uh, the Zoramites had built synagogues and they gathered themselves together on one day of the week. And we know the story, which and in that day they did call on the name of the Lord and they did worship after a manner which Alma and his brethren had never beheld. So mm. I think this is, we've already talked about Korahor mm. as, as, a, as a lying spirit you know, behind him. And there had been many others so whenever I see when I see something like this, they worshipped in a manner that Alma and his brethren had never beheld. You think well, there's got to be something pretty crazy going on here because it yeah. seems like they've experienced a lot. And 
And I kind of saw this pattern, and whether it's a pattern or not, uh, I don't know, but I wrote down a couple things here that I believe that's involved with this, what they saw here. Mm -hmm. Um, We know the story. There was this big tower, and these people would go up to the top of the tower, and it says there's only room for one person. Right. And whoever went up to this tower... They would uh, begin to pray, and they, you know, they'd reach their hands out towards the heavens, and it sounds like they said the same thing. They was they would cry with a loud voice, saying, "You know, and we, we know the prayer, Holy, Holy God, we believe that Thou art God. We believe Thou art holy. Thou wast a spirit, that Thou art a spirit, and Thou wilt be a spirit forever." Mm. So here is the first lie. Mm. We know that Almas have seen this lie before that God wouldn't. Um, that God would be a spirit, but what's the, what are they saying there? They're saying that Christ, there's no Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If God remains only in spirit form and never comes down in flesh and blood, that there's no Christ. So the the very first thing the spirit, this lying spirit, is doing is is denying Christ. Mm. The second thing it says, "Holy God, we believe that Thou hast separated us from our brethren." We do not believe in the traditions of our brethren, which was handed down to them and the childishness of their fathers. But we believe thou hast elected us to be thy holy children. Right. This is the second part of this, this spirit, this lie that I think goes hand in hand. First, you deny Christ, whether you, whether you physically believe it or not, um, or just deny him out of your actions. But they actually said Christ will never be. Right, right. Well, here's this spirit. How many times have we seen this? And we it may be a spirit that never says this out loud, but right here they come right out and say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's much more cloaked. It's this eliteness. Exactly. And even though you would maybe never say that out loud, or maybe as time goes by, the spirit begins to cloak itself more, but this spirit of eliteness, and there's a very hidden... Uh, what it's hiding is that... Deep down inside, you feel like you have something up on somebody else. Right, right. You have just a little bit of a secret, a little bit of something that that they don't have because it says we don't believe in their traditions. Exactly, exactly. So whatever that tradition is, whether it's their process of worship, whether it's the scriptures they have, you have to think about what does that word tradition mean? Mm. We do not believe in the traditions of our brethren. Mm. Is it disbelieving that Christ would come? Is it the, who knows? But it says, we believe you have elected us to be thy holy children. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. This is one of those stories that you hear about oftentimes, and so you kind of glance over maybe, at least I do when I read it, but when you really think about what that means, and the neat thing about the Word of God and how it has power is this, if we believe that God is the same today, yesterday, and always, and that he has the same love for all of his children, and that things kind of work the same throughout history. Um, We have to believe that what these people were going through back then is relevant to us today. Yes. So it's not the same tower. There's no giant tower in the independent square where someone's standing up there and talking down below, but there has to be a purpose something for us to glean out of our everyday life and worship with the Lord. Right. So what you've elected us to be your holy children, it says, verse 92, 
Thou hast made so here he comes right out and says that thou hast made it known unto this there shall be no Christ, but thou art the same yesterday, today, and forever, and thou hast elected us. And right here's the third part to this little spiritual lie: thou hast elected us that we shall be saved, while all around us are elected to be cast by thy wrath down to hell. Right, right. Now. We are in a society now that says, oh, don't judge me. Don't judge anybody. You can't tell me where I'm going, or you can't tell me this is wrong, or this is right. And so it's more of a cloaked thing. How does this apply to us today? Well, we believe that there's a very special, this this spirit here says there's a very special set of circumstances, a very special, uh, unique thing about us, because you have elected us. You have chosen us out. You have handpicked us. Uh, to be saved, and it doesn't just doesn't just say that we'll be saved, but there seems to be some some type of um, satisfaction from believing that those around us are elected, elected, chosen to go to hell. Right, right. You know that is a great point because that seeps into almost every religion at some mm-hmm. point in time. And, and I thought, what is the antidote to that? And, and you know, <laughs> exactly. what's interesting is, as you were sharing that, Mike, I thought about there's a scripture somewhere that, you know, seems to be the contrary to this, rather than, you know, this seems to be puffed up with pride the way these people are acting. But there is a scripture that says something about acknowledging your unworthiness. And as you were talking, I just searched, and I thought, where was that acknowledge your unworthiness? You know what the beautiful part of this scripture is in the context of the story you're sharing from the 16th chapter, two chapters ahead in, in Alma 18, he's almost speaking to his son. He's writing each of his sons a letter in each chapter, 17, 18, 19 is a letter to a son. But he tells one of his sons to bridle your passions, make sure you're filled with love. And then he says this, and don't pray as the Zoramites did. So he's hearkening back to this very verse. And he says that they pray to be heard of men and to be praised for their wisdom. Do not say, I thank you that we are better than our brethren, but rather say, O Lord, forgive my unworthiness and remember my brethren in mercy. Yea, acknowledge your unworthiness before God at all times. Isn't that something? You know, the the antidote to the lie, the truth is, to acknowledge your unworthiness before God at all times. Isn't that something? At all times. At all times. Now, let me ask you a question, Corey. Um, so, so just to summarize here, you know, Alma walks into this land. He immediately is astonished because he sees something he's never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe it says there were synagogues there. I don't believe it was just that there was churches or yeah, whatever. Right. And, and, you know, it's interesting because just on that point right there, the word synagogue that it's used there, it's used in a few places in the Book of Mormon. But it says earlier in Alma 13, it talks about how they built synagogues after the manner of the Jews. And so I, I picture this. They were hearkening back to certain traditions that they thought, this will make us holy if we do it like this. And But yet their minds and hearts were in totally something else. And... You know, that was the prophecy of Nephi when he sees the last days of the Gentiles on this land and in the world. He says, they've built up many churches unto themselves, right? The same idea is that, hey, it's a little piece of what looks religious, but it's all about us. Well, yeah, in spite of, uh, you know, these false false teachers, these false uh, antichrist, spirits of antichrist, 
in spite of all of that, here they come and they're now they're astonished that he sees something new, even something that's gone beyond that. And and in the synagogue, this place of standing, of course, and we read the prayer, but three things, at least three things I picked out. Number one, they preached against Christ, or that God could be a personal God or come down in flesh and blood and be among us, that that he's just this spirit far away, you know. Number two, they were happy that they were the elect or the chosen. They were thankful that God has separated them from their brethren. And then number three, they took joy in the fact that their brothers were going to be cast to hell mm. and that mm. they were to be saved. That's mm. a, a two-part mm. there. Yeah. Right? Thou well, has selected that, that's us. getting kind of close to home. I don't know because yeah. Yeah, I'm, worried, I'm worried about that sometimes, that a little Zoramite tradition... Then that's what I was going to ask you. When it, when it says, Thou hast elected us that we shall be saved, while all around us are elected to be cast by thy wrath down to hell. For which holiness, O God, we thank thee. Mm. So so it's, it's, it's shrouded. It's hand in hand. It's not just that, uh, you know, oh, thank you that we're going to heaven, but it has to be. C.S. Lewis said, it's not so much that... Um, you know, we don't take pride that we're beautiful. We take pride that we're more beautiful than the person next Someone to else. us. So, in other words, uh, you know, if they were as beautiful as us, we wouldn't have any willingness. And so, if everybody was going to heaven, well, what's the joy in that? There has to be a group that's going to hell, right? So, that's where our joy gets from. Mm-hmm. Now, let's think about this. What kind of lies, you know, maybe not as bold as this, but what kind of veiled lies uh, are there still in the church today? Is is this still relevant today? Or is there a group of people that are happy that maybe they're going to a place that's just selected for them as opposed to... <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a message there, and I tell you what, um, we're going to have to spend some time talking about life after death and, and what the real message of the Restoration is and has been versus what it's evolved into Um and, right. and maybe not today, but there's, boy, you know, the, the scriptures are so clear that we, and especially the Book of Mormon, this is why I love it so much, it, it points out that all mankind, all, every one of us was under justice in that the justice meant that we were separated from God. We couldn't come back into his presence except an eternal sacrifice was made. And if that change of heart occurs, then that eternal sacrifice is, is applied. And that's what it means to be penitent. That's what it means to be broken and contrite, that we realize that the, the consequence of our sin meant separation, but because of his mercy and his love, he has provided a way to overcome. That should bring contrition. That should bring us to, to be humble. And, and as Alan 18 says, acknowledge our unworthiness at all times. But instead... We've added to this. And, and then if that's the case, God says, I can wipe away the sin. We can't add any righteousness to that. We can't improve upon our fate any better than that. Our, our point was sin separated us from God, so now sin has to remove us. What the Scripture rightly does is it talks about the spirit that people have when they're resurrected and how if your choices were evil, well, you're restored to evil. If your choices were good, you're restored to good. But that choice comes down to the change of heart and repentance. Beyond that, I, I, I can't be just a little bit more right than you or you a little bit more right than me and, and have that measure at all compared to the price that God paid for us. Our sins had to be completely remitted and 
our garments, as the scriptures say, are, are spiritual. The f- fabric of our spirit has to be purified and made white. Only Jesus can do that so that we can be in his presence again. It's not like you can have a little more bleach added to your garments and a little less to mine. That's not what it means. But yet what's crept into our doctrine, what's crept into us, is this is this idea that maybe we can. And, and maybe I, I, I am a little bit better than you, so therefore I get a little bit more. Yeah, it's the, as my good friend used to always say, is there's always the butt sandwich. You want to <laughs> say that... Um, you want to say that, uh, you know, well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then you make a little butt sandwich in your mind. But but I'm not as bad as you because look what you're doing. Right. But we don't, we don't even um, consciously probably know that we're doing that. But if we even realized how many times in our life we're comparing ourselves to other people and lifting ourselves up above them or putting mm-hmm. them down. Here's a, that quote that I... I just wanted to read it by C.S. Lewis. Pride, and this is what we're talking about is pride. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. Mm. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever... Mm -hmm or good looking there would be nothing to be proud about well wow. isn't that is that is interesting because it points back to this i think the underlying message from what i'm hearing you share about alma and the zoramites and their condition is that there can never be comparison made in our worship right we we can't compare our state to someone else's and think we're better somehow even if we found Christ he, there's there's not room for that it's it's still even if you've been forgiven of your sin and have this hope of salvation to acknowledge your unworthiness is really the only state that's acceptable yeah and that's one of my favorite definitions of of humility is um the ability or the gift or the process of comparing yourself to god um, humility comes when you recognize more and more of who God is, and at the same time you recognize more and more of of who you are not. And there's no mm-hmm. longer there's no in no comparison to anyone else. It's just you and God. And as you come to understand holiness and how beautiful that is, and how you can never, the more you understand about holiness, the more you understand the terrible predicament you're in. Right. When we don't understand holiness, then we think we're pretty good. But the more we understand holiness and how beautiful of a thing holiness is, the more we realize we need a Savior and that we're far from it. And the more that Scripture really takes hold in our heart that says all have fallen and come short of the glory of God, or we're all on a level playing field. And no matter how many times you say that, we want to stack ourselves up as this hierarchy in our minds or in our church. Yes. And the church church. portrays what we each one believe individually or vice versa. The church leads us to believe certain things individually about who we are and how we're compared to, to each other. And what a terrible place to go down and and here's this here's what's taking place among the Zoramites. it's not just the fact that you know oh lord thank you for how you've worked with us but man thank you that there's a group of people that are going to be going to hell and it's not us (laughs) it's not us you you know uh, yeah if we were all saved to heaven then what's so great about going to heaven from their perspective and what a terrible spirit that is wow i mean how dangerous is that uh to go down 
Sure. You know, I, I came across the term the other day that we've heard that God isn't any respecter of persons. And what context that was in, in the scripture made made me think of <clears throat> at the final judgment, you know, I, you think about this, if God could line up all humanity in a line, well, he's not going to take, you know, men or women who served as kings and queens or, or presidents and put them in one group, and he's not going to take people who are great preachers and put them in another group, and he's not going to take, you know, the people who, you know, were just people of the world and, and, and leave them separately, and then there's a group for us or however we fit in. Like these Zoramites had excluded themselves. When God lines up everyone, it's it's done without respect to any anyone. There's there's no one held up on another level than anybody else. Um, I guess the only difference you could say is there's a reference to the fact that it said some of the apostles would judge the angels and the people of the earth. That might be some other little gig God's got going at some point in time. But but the whole the whole story of humanity is that God doesn't respect one of us more than the other. And and this comes down to the change of heart where, where I feel like, I think I've lived a lot of my life feeling like I get a pass, right, Lord? Because, well, you know, we, we found this church, right? And I hang out with Mike Barrett and he's a good guy. And, you know, I, I have some friends and we like to talk about God. So, of course, we sort of get a pass, right? And and when it comes down to no, God's not a respecter of persons, each person individually has to make that choice to choose him wholly and completely separate from the rest of the choices of everyone else in this world because you have no one else to lean on at Judgment Day. God isn't going to give a whole bunch of people, you know, even if the term elect was used to describe some people that was elect according to a covenant that God made with their forefathers who were righteous, the descendants generally weren't righteous, but, but it was simply a way of defining a certain bloodline of people that God was going to do some work through and for and with in, in a day to come, but it doesn't give anyone a separation higher or lower in life or the ability to compare ourselves. Like you say, hey, let's be glad because people are going to hell and we, we aren't. You know, it's like that never can enter into the thinking. I just uh, had a thought when you said that of Judgment Day and standing there and, and being completely alone mm. with Jesus because, like you said, you know, I might want to look around and say, you know, where's my wife? Hey, honey, remember when I did all of these? And and no one's going to be there. Or, hey, Corey, but what about all the times we spent together? Right. All of those hours reading the Word. All and, those podcasts. <laughs> yeah, and Jesus, right. but it's just me and Jesus. And he says, but I know your heart. Right. You, I know your heart. And yes, you did those things. But, Mike, you were seeking me and you loved me. So all of your sins are forgiven you. Or... Right. I know your heart, and you did all of those things to bring glory to yourself out of your own sense of unworthiness. You wanted to bolster your own pride. It's 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 real, man. He knows at that moment what's going on in your heart. Yeah, and you and, can't and, hide it anymore. No, if, if and, and, and we're going to agree that the 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 profound part of that moment yeah. in time is that we're going to totally agree and concur with yes. with His Word. Say, so I know, and I know that you know, Lord. Yeah, that I there's know no that hiding I was, it. You know, um, I wanted to continue on with just real quick, just just to finish up this section on this um, this tower. Unless you had something else to no, add. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I got my where are we at here. So, 
It says it came to pass after Alma and his brethren, all of his friends had heard these prayers that these guys were offering. It says again that they were astonished beyond all measure. Mm. And it, you think about ministers and back then i mean life and church and everything was all just one thing you know it just seemed to be you couldn't you didn't separate them wasn't a place you went so imagine all of the things they saw Mm -hmm. and all of the spirits and 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 false teachings but then to say they were astonished beyond measure again it says uh every man offered the exact same prayer and then it says that those people left and they went back to their homes, never speaking of their God again until they had assembled themselves together again to the holy stand to offer up thanks after their manner. Mm-hmm. This kind of goes, you know, that takes you right back to the very beginning we were talking about where it said um, they didn't supplicate daily. No, no. And, and you know, that's the... They didn't earnestly beg daily for for God's uh, presence in their life. And maybe that's what, a, maybe was that the great astonishment? Was Alma and them looking like, are you really forgetting God or paying no attention to him for the next six days? Yeah. And, <laughs> and you think about this, the fact that, you know, there, there's a lot of this in the world around. I mean, I, not anyone in particular, but there's a lot of, you know, Hey, we talk about Christ on Sunday and then we just do our thing until we come together again. And yet maybe the, the landscape is supposed to look different. You know, maybe we're supposed to be earnestly begging just about this temptation thing, about realizing, you know, how profound the forces of evil are around us that we can't see and that the only solution is to beg, not to just casually have this approach that, oh, I'm good till next week. I went to church this week, right? You know, there's there's another lie in this aspect, and and what's interesting in, in verse 92 illustrates this pretty pretty profoundly when you mix a little bit of a truth with a little bit of a lie. And and here it is. Hmm. It's right in this verse. This uh, is I see it. The scriptures clearly state God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so they state this, you are the same yesterday and today and forever, but you've made it known unto us that there shall be no Christ. Look at that. It's all in the same sentence. So the people are are uttering mm-hmm. Scripture, they can point to Moses' words or, or, or anyone else now in, in the Scripture that says this. But you, you see how this works is that they're twisting, but you've shown us there isn't going to be Christ. You're the same yesterday and today, today and forever. forever. If only they knew that Christ was eternal and created them. <laughs> yeah, really, really. But but isn't that interesting? And so what's going on in our lives is that we got to look at the same thing. When do we get a little bit of truth? Mm. It's kind of like, well, you know, uh, you're you're a good person, and, but God gave you a choice, and you know, you know. Then then you look at d- different. Things in our political system influences that say, yeah, you know, you can choose uh, a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that's where the lies come in, right? Well, you know, it it could have been a lot of things that astonished them. Um, I just wonder if it was tied back to that very first verse coming upon this scene that they realized that uh, there was no prayer and supplication daily, but it says they... They went away to their homes, and it says, and then they were astonished. They mm. couldn't believe that they did not mention or pray to God for for another mm. six days mm. until they came back and did that same thing again. So, can you? I just, I always just picture like here comes Alma and his brother and walking into the land of independence, 
what would they be astonished about in the church today? But mm, that's a good question. I said I wasn't going to dump on the church because <laughs> she's she's been dumped on enough. But wow. So anyway, closing out this section, it says Alma and his heart was grieved. He saw that they were a wicked and a perverse people. And then, of course, because they're not praying and supplicating during the week, well, what's taking up their time? Well, it says all of their hearts were set upon gold and silver yeah. and fine yeah. goods, and, and they were lifted up in pride, and, and these things always go uh, hand in hand. And then what does he say to God? Oh, how long, O oh Lord, verse 102, wilt thou suffer that thy servants shall dwell here below in the flesh to behold such gross wickedness among the children of men? Mm. Corey, when I read that scripture, that's that's a convicting scripture to me because if I'm a servant of the Lord, if I'm a minister for Him, and I see what goes on in the church, do I really cry out to the Lord? Am I even suffering? Mm. Am I suffering because of the state of the that the church is in or His mm. people? Mm. They were suffering because mm. they saw this. I mean, this this the way these people were acting this struck them right to the core. Mm. It was hard for them to handle. Mm. Yeah, well, well, what's interesting is that uh, what we end up seeing is uh, Alma unleashed after his prayer. You know, he he he, and Alma's beautiful and poetic. You see this; it, it stated uh, even in the early chapters before his conversion that he was a gifted speaker, and this comes out now when he uses his gift for God, and he he talks about how they cry, but their hearts are swallowed with pride. They cry with their mouths, which are puffed up to great and vain things. They they seek after their apparel and their hearts aren't changed. You know, and he concludes, he says, and they say there's not going to be Christ. How long will you suffer this? And so then he prays for strength so he can bear with his infirmities so he can be effective. And what's interesting, and we'll have to save this for the next time, is what he does. And what, did he, what does he do? He finds people who are already broken and contrite. Mm-hmm. And, and he talks to them and gets their hearts to change. What uh, It looks like we were right at the same place, but look at 110, Corey. Verse 110, when he says, Lord, my heart is exceeding sour, sorrowful. Mm. Wilt thou comfort my soul in Christ? Mm. Question mm. mark. Now, I wrote just in the margin there, what does this phrase look like in reality? Wow. What, what is that? Wherever we're at, or whoever's listening, that's really in a state of sorrow or sadness. What is, what's that look like? What's that mean? Will thou? That's not. A, it's a first of all, mm. it's a phrase that's not uh, easily understood by my ears. Will comfort my soul in Christ? That word oh. "in in" is just like so. Mm. What does that comfort look like? Comfort my soul in Christ. You know, it's it's it probably paints a beautiful picture, and if if we ponder it and, and meditate, it, you know, to to not will you just comfort my soul, but to comfort my soul in Christ. Right. You know. And, and that somehow, maybe, I don't know, does it bring the, the thought and the focus back to Christ? What is his great and eternal purpose? Does, mm-hmm. it, does, it, does it soothe us with, with seeing the bigger picture, right, the bigger goal? Is it him? Is it a, yeah, we often pray, oh, Lord, just give me peace. Just give me rest. Mm-hmm. Just give me, uh, you know, give me some happiness. You know, heal my sorrow. But no, comfort my soul in Christ. In Christ. Wow. For him is that... You know, Lord, just 
help me glory in that knowledge that you're going to come down and be among us. You know, wow. here's these people saying there is no Christ. Wow. Yeah. There is no man. There is no, you're, you're just a spirit. Wow. Comfort my soul in the knowledge that you are going to be down here as a person. You're going to step into time. You're going to, all of everything that goes with that. And what, what a beautiful strategy that you're, you're pointing out, Mike, yeah. because this is like, this is useful today because right. w- whether they're called Zoramites or not, we have people in the same condition that say there's no Christ. So what is his antidote? Mm-hmm. First, let's let our souls be comforted in Christ so we can represent him, so we can do his will. Yeah, whatever whatever the spirits are today in this world that are coming against us, you know, this with with the way we're returning to Sodom and Gomorrah and everything, it's just, Lord, comfort my soul in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. The, the bridegroom that's coming back for his bride, the one that's 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 going to be here among us and and bring in the work of the Father. You know, and it's interesting how he concludes this prayer. He and he doesn't he doesn't hold back, but and he's not even concluded in verse one eleven. But notice what he says here, and this is this is very key. If if we want to be effective ministers in our homes, in our families, in our churches, notice what he says uh, after he asks, uh, will you comfort my soul in Christ? He says, oh, Lord, will you grant unto me that I may have strength, that I may, that I may suffer with patience these afflictions which shall come upon me because of the iniquity of this people. In other words, he's he's forecasting, he's anticipating, it's going to be hard. Will you help me to uh, be patient because I know what's coming? I know what's coming ahead. And boy, what what a guy who's who's balanced with reality. Comfort my soul in Christ. Help me to be prepared because I know this is going to be hard. This and, is going to be a tough. And yeah, I mean, how do you stop? And Lord, look at my look at my brothers, my fellow laborers, uh Ammon and he names them all. Wilt thou comfort them, Lord? Wilt thou comfort their souls, souls in Christ? Wow. Will, wow. will you grant unto them that they may have strength? that they may bear their afflictions, which shall come upon them because of the iniquities of the people. That's like the Lord's Prayer. You know, oh we pray gosh. for us and then pray for pray for others. And uh, Yeah, but just, just anticipating that what they were about to undertake, you know, they they needed courage, and they but they needed patience. And, and, and all this comes back to having a soul that is aligned with Christ, and, and yet he's... There's 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 this beautiful humility here where he's not saying, well, God, you've been with me before, you'll you'll be with me again, no problem. No, he he already he he's he's already realizing that the challenges of wanting to bring souls to Christ mean conflict, right? But but to have patience through that and to be comforted in Christ, boy, that's a that's a prayer I want to use. That's mm-hmm. that's something I want to latch onto in my life. Wow. This is this is good. Stuff. Then he goes on and prays for the people they're about to go out and try to help. Mm, mm. Their souls are precious. Mm. They're our brethren. May you may you bring them again unto Christ. Mm. How could a farm boy have just made this up? You know, <laughs> I, I just I don't get it. I don't know, but therefore give us Lord power and wisdom that we may bring these brothers again unto thee. And it came to pass, Alma has said these words, he clapped his hands upon all they which were with him, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, wow. golly, that couldn't have happened. That's <laughs> certainly not the pattern that we know, right? Wow. Oh, I mean, wow. that's not good to be sarcastic in that. No, but it is, you know, something for us to pray, and just for everyone listening here, uh, praying that our souls will be comforted in Christ. You know, yeah. that's, a, that's a place to start, no matter where we're at in a journey right now, if we're 
if we're dealing with a conflict in home at home or with, you know, a coworker or just sorrow in our heart, that one of the keys is to ask God, not just for comfort, but to comfort our soul in Christ. Brother, I've really enjoyed, um, I've enjoyed talking today. Um, casual conversation about the things of eternity is, is there anything else that, that brings peace to your soul? than to just talk about the Word of God. It's, this is exciting stuff, and thank you for educating me on supplication. <laughs> I uh, hope we'll be found earnestly begging uh, each and every day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ponder on that, Corey. Earnestly begging so that we're not led into temptation. I am too. Boy, it, it, it changes the complexion of prayer and focus if we, if we make that in the forefront consistently, yeah. doesn't it? Well... Looks like that was a common part of the church back then. But uh, until next time, we'll pick back up in Alma, 16th chapter. There's some great stuff ahead. God bless.